My name is Matt Bagley, joined as always across the magic of the interwebs with ScoopDuck.com's Justin Hopkins, and we are Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi, a podcast breaking down all the ins and outs and nooks and crannies of Oregon football, Oregon recruiting, and more. I think this is a bombshell story. It, it, it just kind of sprung loose on the world today. So I want to start on this while it's fresh, my friend. The Big Ten has a massive new media deal, and ESPN isn't in it at all. What does this all mean to you with regards to Oregon football? Uh, you know, uh, yeah, with regards to, to Oregon football, I, you, that particular part of the equation, ESPN in or out, um, doesn't really register you know, in terms of Oregon and the Big Twelve and Big Ten, excuse me, and inclusion there uh, down the line, uh, like, like at least to me, I, I think it's an interesting storyline. I think it's something a lot of folks, you know, are going to discuss. That being said, if you kind of peel it away, ESPN still has plenty of college football inventory at their disposal. So it's not like you're going to turn on ESPN on Saturday and they're not going to have any football games right. on. Right. They're, they're going to be fine. I do think it is a big storyline. It's very interesting. I'm going to be honest. I'm kind of, I, I like it. I'm kind of glad about it. I'm excited to see what some of these networks can do in, in terms of kind of ramping up, uh, you know, their production and who they can include, and maybe some of the announcers and, and things that they can do there. Uh, I thought ESPN got a little bit lazy with some of its announcers, um, you know, last two to three years. I think Oregon's been, you know, I think Oregon, Oregon specifically has gotten jobbed on several occasions with, with who's been calling the games and has made it somewhat less enjoyable. I know a lot of people have circumvented that with the ever popular mute button. Um, and in my opinion, got really, if they were really, really smart, you know, they would go ahead and just, and just turn on the radio and listen to Jerry, you know, making his call on the game while watching it on the TV. So those are, those are great options in case that happens, which we still you know, we still have a couple of years left with everything the way it is. But I digress uh, back to maybe to answering your question. I, I think the biggest part there was the fact that um, the Big Ten and its new deal left the door wide open for future expansion. It left the door wide open for adding more revenue into there. And it left the door you know, wide open for future members of the conference to also get a slice of the pie. That's to me, that's where the story's at, and that's where you know Oregon fans should be paying attention. Yeah, yeah, I, I tweeted that out earlier uh, at Bagley Sports. I, I mentioned I, I think the smartest thing the Big Ten did in this deal is it's it's a flexible deal. It has escalators in the contract, kind of like in uh, in a football contract or in a baseball contract. You don't sign. A, a guaranteed contract with one number that's the only number you're going to make. You sign a guaranteed contract, and then there's escalators or incentives, bonuses, that you can earn on top of that guarantee depending on how you perform. And in the case of the Big Ten, it's depending on whether or not they expand into other media markets because I, I think there is a, a real value now in the Pac-12 as a media footprint. And I, and I want to talk about this for a minute. Like, I think 
really there's no scenario in which Oregon got worse after today's story. And, and that might seem crazy to hear because you see, oh, the Big Ten is going to get anywhere from 60 to, I think, 72 or $75 million per member school per year in this agreement, depending on how the math shakes out. Uh, you, you've got some mathematicians over on the Scoop Duck boards that have done those calculations already, I've seen in the comments. Um, but, but I think for, for Oregon, either this ends up with the Ducks – as one of those added members in a Big Ten expansion kicking in those escalator clauses. And so then they get a piece of that 60 to, say, $75 million a year pie, which is good money, way better than they're getting right now in their current television deals. Um, or or th- this alternative is out there, too. I think the fact that ESPN, as of now is boxed out of the Big Ten television rights. NBC gets a big slice. Fox and CBS get a big slice. Uh, We we know that Fox is going to do the big noon kickoff. CBS is replacing its midday SEC with Big Ten in the midday. And then NBC is going to go really heavy in in East Coast primetime and West Coast primetime and throw a bunch of stuff on their uh, streaming platform, Paramount Plus, as well. I think that, that uh, or, or Peacock, Peacock, excuse me, Peacock and Paramount. I think what you're going to see is ESPN is kind of backed into a corner right now. Sure, they have the college football playoff and they have New Year's Six Bowls and they have the SEC. So they have these big marquee events that are going to drive ratings for them. But national advertisers want a national footprint, right? They want to capture markets all across the country. And I think ESPN can't provide that week to week. They can get the South. They can get the East Coast with their ACC deal, and right now they have a, a semblance of the West Coast, but they won't have LA, and and I think it might be wise for ESPN to throw some extra money on top of what we all think that the Pac-12 deserves to keep the Pac-12 intact, keep it for ESPN, and and that way ESPN can tell their advertisers, we have the West Coast. I think it's a win yeah. for the Ducks. Uh, yeah, uh, yes and uh, yes and no. So, I mean, I, I, I wrote something similar actually just kind of before coming on the pod and and made it a free article. So it's, it's easy to talk about it, you know, in, in my estimation on the heels, you know, and, and kind of along with what you're saying, um, if, if the PAC 12, obviously the PAC 10 is going to end up staying together, meaning that Oregon, Washington, Stanford, whoever is not going to end up in the big 10. That means that the PAC 12 is going to have to get really aggressive and find a media deal that, you know, all of a sudden doubles what it is now that gets them into that 50, 60, $70 million range, whatever. And then my, my line of thinking there is, you know, what becomes really hard, which we, you know, we don't know is, uh, you know, let's say Oregon and, you know, we're just we're just going to throw out hypotheticals. Things don't move this quickly. But Oregon and Washington and Stanford get an invite to the Big Ten and are set to make around $60 million a year. And at the same time, the Pac-12 comes up with a media deal with ESPN, with whomever that would pay those same schools also $60 million. 
with money's even on the table, I think they're still going to go to the Big Ten because I think the writing on the wall is that we're headed towards two super conferences uh, that are really going to run college football. And I don't think that the Pac-12, even should Oregon and, and Stanford, Washington stay, can compete with the SEC and the Big Ten. And I think if you're Oregon, we'll just talk about Oregon specifically, you're going to look at it and say, okay, well, you know, the money's even on both of these deals. Um, it, you know, obviously for our longevity, for the, the best, the betterment of our, our program for the future, not just football, you know, we're probably best off going to the Big Ten Conference because they certainly seem to be, you know, having a really good stronghold on on college football right now. So that's something I did write about is that I, I do see a scenario that the Pac-12 could stay together. Obviously, you're going to need those schools to stay. And in my opinion, you're going to have to come up with basically you're going to have to pay them more money to stay, uh, you know, versus going to the Big Ten, assuming they get an invite. Now, of course, everything I said, you know, the caveat is this. These things don't tend to move quickly. OK, right. I, I mean, these things right. evolve over time. The the you know, the scenario that I put out that both these things happen simultaneously at the same time, probably pretty low. You know, Oregon's probably, in my opinion, I think this deal right now really pushes. It really pushes on Notre Dame. Notre mm -hmm. Dame's been the linchpin the whole time. That hasn't changed. It's been okay, Notre Dame, are you coming or are you not coming? Because if you are, we're probably going to invite these three schools. And if you're not, we might just go ahead and invite these four schools without you. Right. And that's right. totally fine. You know, Notre Dame feels like, hey, we're going to get ours being independent. We'll just stay independent and make the same amount of money and kind of control our own destiny. I do think that that's short-sighted. I don't think that's a great move on their part personally. But you know what? Those guys that make those decisions are, are a lot more educated than myself. I think the Big Ten is somewhat pigeonholed into a corner from the standpoint that they know. I mean, they know that they've got to expand more West Coast schools into their portfolio. It doesn't need to be today. It doesn't need to be in September. It doesn't need to be in 2022. But by the time USC and UCLA join, they're going to have to have more West Coast presence in their portfolio because something I've said since UCLA, USC and UCLA left, it's not sustainable for baseball, basketball, softball, you name the other sport, non-football sport, for them to be traveling every week back to the East Coast. It's right. simply not. And, and, and these guys are smart. They know that. They know that that's a bridge they've got to cross. They just don't have to cross it today. So, you know, you're lining up your, your, your you know, you're lining up your things that you've got to do, right? And right now, the, the, the number one agenda for Kevin Warren is getting the most money possible with the media partner for your conference. Once you've kind of gotten, you know, gotten that done, now you could take that and go to Oregon, Washington, whoever, and say, here's what we can offer you if you want to accept our invitation into the Big Ten Conference. And, and that's kind of step two. You know, obviously, we still haven't crossed over step one at this point. I think your last point about sustainability rings really sharply with uh, another story this week that commissioners in the major conferences met to kind of discuss a very unique possibility in the future, college athletics outside the umbrella of the NCAA. And I kind of think about it this way. Like, I, I agree long-term, 
let's say USC and UCLA are the only West Coast members of the Big Ten, all the non-football sports take a huge, huge loss in travel, in, in, in logistics. It's not feasible. Um, and so I wonder, instead of two super conferences that everybody is a part of, I wonder if the future really is football-only conferences and then regional conferences for every other sport. Like, I, I know that's how it's done at, at the smaller levels. Um, I, I think about, you know, the, the school that I've, I've covered predominantly for years and the school that I'm, you know, an, a, a former student of, Oregon, Oregon Tech and Southern Oregon. Uh, Oregon Tech, Southern Oregon, Eastern Oregon, and a few other Oregon schools are all in one regional conference. But for football, Oregon Tech and Eastern Oregon play in what's called the Frontier, where they play against schools that are way out in Montana and Idaho. And it's it's 20-hour drives, and it's weekend-long commutes to get these games done. It wouldn't be feasible to travel like that for every other sport. But for football, it makes sense because for football, they can sell out their stadiums every Saturday and they can air games on the radio and sell advertising. Right. Um, I, and it's I, one game. And it's one game a week. Right. Not and multiple games. And it's one yeah. game a week. So I wonder if that is the path forward. And maybe you don't see that anytime soon. Maybe we're talking. I hate to say this. The next round of realignment, like two decades from now, Um but but I think you have to consider like the last realignment where Nebraska goes to the Big Ten, Colorado goes to the Pac-12, right? All that calamity ensues. The Big East dies. All that stuff. That was only like a decade ago. It, it was really, really, really recent. And so to me, it's not far fetched that we could be talking about realignment again ten years from now. And uh, talking about football-only conferences that just maximize the TV dollars and then regional conferences to save money in every other sport. Yeah, I think what you presented there makes a ton of sense. Almost virtually, you know, the most sense of any scenario. And I do think that potentially, like, let's just let's just assume that Oregon and Washington and Stanford do join Notre Dame in the Big Ten. We'll just assume that's the case. I think if you see, you know, what effectively becomes those five West Coast schools, those three I mentioned, plus USC and UCLA, you've got those five schools. I think I think I think you'll see a a version of what you're saying in the fact that, you know, is is Oregon gonna play Rutgers and then go play Maryland next weekend? No, probably not. Maybe you, you know, kind of bridge that entire conference and say, hey, look, you non-football, uh, you know, you non-football sports, basketball for whatever, you're going to play, you know, one original Big Ten team a month or maybe two a month. And then that kind of puts everybody together, but limits the travel, if you will. Um, you know, I, I think that's something that's sustainable and reasonable because you're going to have to you're going to have to blend the two and they're going to have to play each other to be a real conference at, on some level. Right. I mean, you can't just kind of have two pods and say, Oh yeah, we're all that we're all the same conference. I mean, you can, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Not that it, everything in the world makes sense anymore because it just doesn't quite frankly, but 
I do think that, you know, you have to have some variation there where, you know, again, maybe once or twice a month, like, let's say that you've got to play two original big 10 opponents in a month. Uh, that could be as simple as, okay, that means you're going to, you're going to travel to one of them and one of them's going to come to you. Uh, and again, that becomes feasible for everybody to absorb uh, at that level. But what doesn't become feasible to absorb is that USC and UCLA in non-football sports are going to travel to the East Coast every darn week. It's uh, like it's not it can't happen like it just it could happen. But again, you're just th- that 60 million dollars you're making or whatever from the media deal. You're going to absorb, you know, you're going to you're going to spend a lot of that money. Uh, just in travel there. And they know that. I mean, these guys know that. They've weighed all the options. They've got all the numbers. You and I don't. We're just speaking from a matter of, of like, logic. That's all we're trying to present. Right. Um, and, and everything I'm saying today is a lot of what I've said since day one. The The key to the whole thing moving forward is, you know, it, you know, obviously step one was what media deal uh, the Big Ten secures. Well, they've done that. Okay, step two is now is, is Notre Dame coming or not? And whatever decision they make, you know, Kevin Warren and, and the Big Ten is going to move forward and, and move to step three. OK, we need three Pac-12 schools. We need four Pac-12 schools or let's just hang tight for a year. Uh, those seem to be the three most logical scenarios uh, that we could be seeing next. And, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know. But that it's it's been fascinating to follow and fascinating to cover. Um, it's scary. It's scary to me. It's scary, I think, to college football purists. I've said this from day one. I don't love all of the rules with the transfer portal. I don't love all of the NIL rules. Uh, I don't love all of these things that change college football because I think college football has kept a different identity than the NFL. And I've appreciated that identity, obviously the same sport, but operating two different ways. Um, But it's pretty clear that the, the, the college football model continues to just kind of lean more towards the NFL model. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean the fact that the SEC has 16 teams, the NFL has 16, or the uh, the Big Ten has 16 teams. Now it's going to be 32. NFL has 32, and the fact that both conferences can say, not not perfectly, but you know the Big Ten having Rutgers and and. Um, which is kind of funny to say that, that I'm going to, I'm going to use the, the example that I always make fun of, but the big 10 has Rutgers and Rutgers, you know, being in Jersey, they always argue that they have the New York market. The big 10 can also say we have USC and UCLA. They can say, you know, we're a coast to coast brand. The SEC yeah. can say the same thing because of, of the alumni bases in all of those schools, massive universities with alums all over the country and college football fans all over America because you're talking about some of the biggest and winningest brands in the history of the game. Uh, they can say, you know, we are a coast-to-coast conference. The NFL is the same way, and every major sports league is that way, right? You see the expansion in MLS. You, you see the growth um, in, in leagues of all sports in America. It's all about filling out the map with as many high broadcast markets, meaning sizable populations that are going to tune in, in week in, week out in large numbers all across America so that you can then turn around to uh, the Madison Avenue national advertising agencies in New York City or Los Angeles or Chicago and say, you know, we want to uh, advertise your product, sign on the dotted line, 
get all the money you can. At the end of the day, it's all about filling a map with population and market size and then getting as much as you can in advertising as humanly possible. So I think those two conferences clearly understand that. They are doing that, and, and, and they are in the lead. The question then becomes for, for Oregon, for Washington, and, and for, I think, the other valuable programs in the Pac-12 from a media standpoint, talking about Cal Berkeley, talking about Stanford, how do you keep up? And, and I think we've laid it out. You either join the big or you try to negotiate the best deal possible for you. Um, and, uh, and that one is a total speculation at this point, right? We're just two guys in Oregon. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep everybody informed as we know. But right now, it's, it's like the soap opera that just keeps on giving us new shows every day. Well, I, I think... You know, to your point, you know, you look at Stanford and Cal and where they are, Bay Area, right? Again, look at, look at, let's, let's take a step back. USC is a, USC is a, a blue blood. It's a storied program, but they have, they have not been good for the last, we'll just call it a decade and be pretty nice about that. Yep. Like how much value inherently does USC have right now? Again, they're blue blood. They've got, they've got. A tremendous, you know, fan base. I, I get all that. UCLA really has virtually no value, and I shouldn't say that because that's not fair. But it's very little value. You look at almost any metric, and the University of Oregon outpaces them both by a significant margin in the last decade. Now, you know, obviously Eugene is not a big TV market. Totally understand that. You're the Big Ten. You go get USC and UCLA because getting that Los Angeles market is big. It's it's, it's big. That can't be overlooked. But, you know, so to my point, why would you go and seek out Stanford and Cal? Like, they don't really bring a ton to the table. Stanford does in a lot of other sports, not so much in football lately. Uh, you know, Cal, not so much all the way around. But – you look at that San Francisco market, that's a really, really big market. I don't know the number, but I'm going to guess it's a top 15, probably top 12 TV market nationally. That's a big, that's a big market, you know. So if you're the Big Ten and you're sitting at the table negotiating with CBS, NBC, ESPN, don't matter. All those guys are looking at is market share, like numbers. They just want numbers. They want numbers. Like you said, they want to pick hot spots all over the map and say, we want a presence there. We want a presence there. We want a presence there. Um, and I think I think from a logist logic standpoint, the Big Ten effectively expanding into the West Coast, you're looking at a bunch of, you know, a bunch of hot spots on a map all over the West Coast, you know, LA, uh, Oregon, Seattle, the Bay Area, and you say, look, those those guys are ripe for picking, right? Mm-hmm. Those are that's low hanging fruit. The ACC's got a ton of hot spots, but they're locked in, right? You can't just go and poach them right now. Nope. So the most sense right now kind of, you know, seems to kind of make sense to go get those West Coast schools and get them locked up because they're easy, low-hanging fruit right now because of our favorite commissioner, the former commissioner for for the uh, the Pac-12 conference. Uh, we won't. I'm not even gonna say his name. Like that's just how how bad I hate him, Lawrence. But, Lawrence. What's that? Oh no, the uh, uh, Larry Scott. Yeah, yeah, for the Pac-12. Yeah, Lawrence. Yeah. Scott. Oh, you're gonna call yeah. Lawrence Scott? I got you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have a lot of respect for Commissioner Klevkov. He just he was put in a, a very bad situation. I think I think had he been hired five years ago, 
or three, maybe maybe even three years ago, we're looking at an entirely different Pac-12 conference. And that's a whole different conversation to have is could he have salvaged the Pac-12 conference? Yeah, I think it's I think possible. Prob- yeah, I think he probably could have. But I, I mean, like you literally brought a guy in in the 11 and a half hour and said, throw up some Hail Marys, buddy. And I mean, he's doing all he can, but I mean, the cards were stacked against him. So uh, anyways, that's, I know we can move on from there, but I know that's also the hot topic that fans yeah. want to discuss right now, as they should. It's very interesting, you know, conversation to have, uh, not just specific to Oregon, but also to college football. And I hate to keep it going, but you just threw one other thing in my brain, and, and that's the brand power involved here. Um, you're right that USC has been terrible for a decade. Right, Oregon State went to their house and whooped them last year, case in point. Ducks went to their house and whooped them a couple years ago. Ducks beat them in a Pac-12 title game for good measure. So we know that USC is down. I don't think people tune in nationally for USC the way they would have 10, 20, 30 years ago. Um, and, and UCLA, you're right, right? They get the upset win over LSU, but, but what else have you done for me? Really nothing. Those programs are not significant from a national college football standpoint right now to get someone in Mobile or someone in Raleigh or someone in New York or Chicago or name your market to tune in and watch. Where I think... USC and UCLA made sense for the Big Ten is the Big Ten clearly was able to argue to its television partners, we have the two biggest programs in the L.A. market. Now, that doesn't mean we have the entire L.A. market. There's a huge difference there. And and that's where I, I still am really hopeful that Oregon... Washington and and Stanford in particular um, can all come out of this ahead. Uh, the rest of the schools, right, like the Beavs and the Cougs, they might be fighting for scraps in the Mountain West when the dust settles. But I, I think that, that those three programs, and I'll even throw in Cal as a fourth, can all argue that they have such a sizable alumni base spread out on the West Coast that it it's not that big of a loss to lose USC and UCLA. What do I mean by that? I mean that Oregon and Washington and Stanford and Cal together can all pitch to the worldwide leader at ESPN or to Fox because Fox really doesn't pick up a ton of extra slots in this new Big Ten deal. It's mostly CBS and NBC and and the streaming properties, uh, Paramount Plus and Peacock taking in a large amount of inventory. Um, you know, the Pac-12 can argue to these traditional media networks that, that were kind of left out of this deal that their alums in Los Angeles will tune in, right? Like, you'll still get a decent L.A. rating. It won't be that far of a drop-off without USC and UCLA if L.A. Uh, tunes in to watch an Oregon game or a Stanford game or a Cal game. So they can still argue, I think, by proxy that they have the L.A. market. And, and I think that's something to watch for in these negotiations. What is the value uh, for these other networks of securing the schools on the periphery of the L.A. market. 
Right. And I like honestly, like let's look, let's call a spade a spade right now. The only reason people tune into UCLA at all right now is because of Chip Kelly. Like because Chip Kelly's a storyline, right? He's their major innovator in college football in the last decade ish, just a bit over than that. Like Chip Kelly's a name when when you know when uh, Jim Mora was there, they actually won more games under Jim Mora and were a better football team. But they, nobody tuned in to watch because Jim Mora doesn't move the needle like Chip Kelly does. Same thing, case in point. Right now, USC goes out, spends a bunch of money, and makes Lincoln Riley the highest-paid college football coach in the country. Right? Think about that. They made Lincoln Riley, who I like. I'm not sure what he's won, but you've made him the highest-paid college football coach in the country. They they have made a splash and gotten attention because of who their head coach is. I don't think Lincoln Riley will be there long. That's just my opinion. But prior to that, when you had Clay Helton there, nobody tuned into their games. Like nobody, I mean, yeah, they're like their own fans had a tough time tuning in because the football was so bad. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think, I think you get people that watch Oregon play that just like the school. Like, Hey, I, you know, I've kind of liked what they've done. I, you know, Chip Kelly was there. I like when they, you know, kind of reinvented the offense again in, in college football. Like people just like Oregon and they, and they have this, you know, really weird. It's not weird. They just have this really broad attraction across the country. I think so, you know, in terms of that, what am I saying? Oregon brings a lot to the table despite not having a big media market. It doesn't matter how big Eugene is or how many TV sets it has or any of that kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. Oregon commands a lot of eyeballs. And I know that the, that the network folk that pay attention to this stuff and have all the figures in front of them are very well aware of that. So I think Oregon, I think Oregon's destined for the big 10. It's just going to be, you know, it's just going to be after Notre Dame makes its final decision. Um, and again, even though we're talking about it and spent most of a pod on it, it doesn't matter because none of this takes place for a couple of years anyways. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I know you want to switch gears. Let's go here. As we uh, hit record, or right, right, right before we hit record, you were telling me it's been a big week in recruiting. Yeah, it's been a, uh, let's call it, how about like a, a pleasant week in recruiting, right? So, um, you know, you and I are recording this on a, on a Thursday, and we, we've, I think we kind of agreed to start doing Wednesdays, but it didn't work yesterday, which is totally okay. But uh, on Wednesday, you know, obviously the Ducks picked up another defensive end, uh, an edge player, Jaden Moore, um, not a nationally ranked guy, not a household name, not a five star, but just one of those really strong, you know, edge players, defensive line type guys that aren't in abundance out west. Just a, a good looking physical specimen guy moves really well, um, had nearly all of the Pac-12 offers, you know, essentially Oregon beat out. Um, Washington, UCLA, Notre Dame offered the day before his decision, trying to get him to hold off. Uh, but he went ahead and made his commitment anyway. So Jade Moore at a central Valley Christian, that's a nice little pickup. Another edge player, defensive line player for Oregon. That's kind of quietly started putting together a pretty strong defensive line class. And again, I'll, I'll kind of circle back to, to something we, we really kind of learned and, and focused in the Mario Cristobal era. The, 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 the bodies in the trenches, the guys in the trenches, we know that the West Coast, the Western footprint doesn't have a lot of really strong 
offensive and defensive linemen. So when you're a school like Oregon, I think you go big head hunting, big game hunting a little bit and go for some of these these national guys, these bigger guys. But you can't overlook the guys in your backyard. You've got to go get them and sign them, not just because you need them, but because you take them away from your competitors. And and I, I don't think there's many schools in the Pac-12 that can recruit nationally like Oregon can. USC certainly can. Washington can a little bit, but not to the degree that Oregon can. So you go take those guys that they want, you know, and, and now they're kind of looking at that next wave down, that next tier down of guys. So I, I think that's a really big get for Oregon. I know it doesn't move the needle like some of the other names do. Uh, but really like that one. Secondly, again, uh, if memory serves on Monday, I believe it was Monday, uh, Oregon landed an offensive commit. Uh, he's he's kind of an athlete, but really going to fit more into a tight end role. Um, and he's he's kind of becoming uh, that popular tight end role. The guys that are athletic can move, can stretch the field. You know, a Kyle Pitts uh, that you see in the NFL. Some of these guys that are really just – fast and, and almost impossible for linebackers to cover because of their speed and almost impossible for DBs to cover because of their size. Uh, you know, Oregon went out and got a guy out of Idaho, Kenyon Sadiq. Now he is a four-star. He's a top 250 level player. Um, again, another big win because Washington kind of felt like they had him in the bag, felt pretty good about where they were at. Uh, you know, some of the other uh, Pac-12 powers felt the same way. In fact, in fact, just two or three weeks ago, Kenyon Sadiq put out a, a, a top three slash final three and Oregon wasn't on the list. So that kind of tells you the way they were able to close, uh, get him into the fold. I think that's just another really good piece. I don't think Oregon needs because they have youth at tight end right now. I think they can be a little bit picky about that position. I think they decided that Sadiq was a the guy they really wanted to move forward with. And I like that he kind of complements some of the other guys. I think he brings a little bit something different to the table. Um, so, again, you're looking at that offensive class with Dante Moore, Jurion Dickey, you know, some of the guys they brought in. And now you add a guy like Sadiq. They're doing a really good job, in my opinion, on the offensive side of recruiting of recruiting quality and not quantity they're going after guys they want guys that can contribute uh guys that will help this team um and i think sadiq's another piece to that um and, and on defense a little bit different you know you've got to treat those defensive line guys a little differently you need the bodies you need to go and get the guys in your footprint um that are good enough to play for you and then go get some other big big dogs along the way um, I think Oregon's doing that there. I think they need a little bit more numbers on defense, so you can't just go strictly quality there, if that makes sense. You know, on offense, you don't have a ton of foot holes to fill on your current roster. Uh, on defense, you have a little bit more holes to fill. So you're 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 kind of going for that blend of quality and quantity, and I think they're doing a good job there. So um, right now with on three, now keep in mind with on three, the the uh, the re the team recruiting rankings work a little differently with twenty four seven sports. It's a little bit more of a cumulative score. So every 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 recruit every commit kind of has a value, right? They have they have a number, and that goes into a pool. And obviously, your total number, if it's high enough, that's where you get ranked twenty four seven sports. So effectively, you could have a team that has like say twenty three stars committed early on and they're going to be ahead of a team that might have like 10 basically all four and five stars 
on three is a little different. Everybody has a value, but more so their average star rating is kind of the bigger determining factor there, which means you're not rewarded for having 23 stars committed. You're kind of rewarded for, hey, look, you're doing a little bit more quality versus quantity. It's kind of a blend, but but more so that's the way on three ranks. So with on three, Oregon is number 14th nationally, um, and they have 16 commits. Uh, in, in my view, Oregon has one of the, and I've said this before, Oregon is not a massive, massive player in NIL. I think they've been able to lure in some recruits by using NIL. Um, it's kind of a fine line, but we can get into a, that at a different time. But I think if you look at their commit list from top to bottom, you're not sitting there pointing at every commit saying, oh, yeah, that guy got a deal, that guy got a deal. I think you can note the couple guys that did. But my point is that the, most of the teams above Oregon in the rankings, at least with on three, I'll go down the list. I'm not going to go down the list, but I'll give you some names. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, Miami, Tennessee, Texas. Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'm forgetting some, but those are the schools that have been pretty frequently mentioned, um, you know, with a, a pretty good NIL budget. And my, and my point is this, I think Oregon's operating as well as it can uh, from a recruiting standpoint with the um, resources they have. So I think they're one of the top recruiting teams in that bracket. But to think that they're going to go and compete with like Georgia and Ohio State uh, and Notre Dame, and, and Miami at this point, which is, has really been linked to a lot of this lately, um, and, and they have different resources than Oregon does, at least in terms of recruiting. So it's, it's not – I just don't think it's fair to think Oregon should, you know – I don't think Oregon fans should expect for Oregon to out-recruit them because, the you know, the cards are kind of stacked against them. Right. Good class, like where it's at, like the bodies they're bringing in, like the fat, fact that it has a blend of quality and quantity – um, and, and it should make for an interesting, uh, you know, close into December because that's when the first signing period is. A lot of cool facts that you're throwing at me there and, and obviously throwing in all the listeners getting their recruiting fix in on this pod. Um, but I want to circle back at, at one thing you pointed out uh, with, with Sadiq, I think. You, you said when he put out his top three, Oregon wasn't on it. Now he's an Oregon commit. How common is that? Uh, nationally, it's yeah. not very common. <laughs> it's not very common. But for whatever reason, uh, for the last few years, as you'll recall, uh, I know he left, but Oregon did the same thing with Pittman Jr. Uh, you know, with the with the Micah Pittman that they signed, uh, they were outside the top five or top six or whatever. And then about a month later, he commits. You know, and then. You know, you've got Kenyon Sadiq here that, that kind of did the same um, up until up until like kind of like the last three to four weeks of his recruitment. Oregon was like on the list for five star Dante Moore, but was always viewed as like outside of the top three. Right. It was it was texting him. It was Notre Dame. It was Michigan. It was LSU. It was these other schools. And. Yeah, you had Oregon there, but nobody really gave them a shot until it kind of became obvious that he was going to Oregon. Um, so they've been able to do it. It's 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 pretty. Uh, I don't want to say it's unique to Oregon because it's not, but it from my recollection, 
it seems as though they've been able to do it far more frequently than other schools. And it, it's, it's certainly something kind of interesting to track. You know, they've still managed to pull out a couple surprise commits here and there. Uh, you know, along the way, they've got Tavita Pome, who committed a defense alignment out of Utah. He was either the first or second commit in this class. I think he was second uh, in this 2023 class way back, uh, you know, right after landing showed up kind of just popped out of nowhere, you know, all of a sudden like, Oh, this guy committed. Who's this guy? Uh, so, you know, in today's day and age of, of social media and all this other stuff, it's not super common, but for whatever reason, I think Oregon's been able to pull it off a few times. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I just, I was curious about that because to me, it, it feels like that's gotta be really rare and unorthodox. Just, interviewing as many parents and families and recruits as we've done over the years there's a process to this oh yeah 100 percent. yeah you don't like for instance with Kenyon Sadiq Oregon had not just offered like it's not like he made his final you know three or four or whatever and then Oregon offered and he suddenly flipped Oregon that's not what happened they'd offered uh previously to that earlier and you know just kind of kept this level of communication and, you know, when that final three came out, you know, maybe they ramped it up a little bit more. Uh, maybe he decided to kind of rethink things. Maybe they said something that really struck, you know, kind of struck a chord with him and, and kind of got him to, to change. But, um, you know, Oregon's a really good school. And I, I remember, I remember, what do we say, probably seven, eight years ago, as, as recent as seven, eight years ago, maybe even six you know, Oregon would recruit these guys and they'd go down to SoCal and they'd recruit these guys and they'd, they'd get all the way up there and they'd feel good. And then all of a sudden USC would offer and they'd commit to USC the next day. Like literally it probably happened. I could think of a half dozen times off top of my head that it happened. And it would just, I mean, it would just irk Oregon fans. It's like, seriously, you know, you put in all this effort, recruit them, do all this stuff. And next thing you know, USC offers and the kid goes to USC a week later. I don't know that Oregon kind of has that sort of offer power. They do here and there. Um, Alabama certainly does. Ohio State certainly does. You know, Georgia certainly does. You know, there are a few that do. Um, but I, it, for whatever reason, I think more so Oregon's had a, a little bit of luck of, and I'm using air quotes here, laying in the weeds and maybe just kind of keeping some of these guys that they're recruiting off of the uh, media's radar and just kind of keeping things private and keeping it and been able to kind of, you know, pull out a shocker in the end. And I think that's, I think that's more of their formula than the, uh, Oh, we're going to offer right before they commit and they're going to commit to us instead. Um, you know, that's something USC was able to do because again, kind of coming out of that time period, they were a blue blood, you know, it was Pete Carroll. They were winning. They were fun. It was LA. It was exciting. Uh, you know, you had all this stuff going on there now. Uh, USC does not have that kind of power in the recruiting world. So, uh, but that's college football, right? It's ebbs and flows. It's, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's wild. It's wild. Yeah. Hey, that's the best four letter word we can use to describe it. Wild college football. A uh, couple weeks till Oregon goes down to Georgia, play the Bulldogs national champions in Atlanta. Uh, before we go, what's on your mind when you think about that game right now what do you need to see from Oregon what do you need to hear from Oregon kind of kind of what's your mindset right now mid-August heading into that Georgia game 
Oregon, Georgia. Um, I, I am not, you know, I'm not fanatical about it. I'm like, Oh, we got to win. We got to, we got to, we got to show everybody who's boss. I'm that's not my mindset. Right. My mindset's this, you've got a brand new quarterback. You've got a brand new offense. You've got, we'll just call it a half dozen players that transferred in that are more than likely starting or at the very least contributing a lot in a game. You've got a whole new coaching staff, top to bottom from head coach, you know, down to the, the to the ground floor. You've got an opponent that just won a national championship with a historic defensive performance. They continue to recruit at a top three level year in and year out. Okay. They're basically playing for what a, what is it, 30 minutes, 40 minutes from you know where they play normally. So yeah, it's neutral site, but it's not. I'm just looking for some respectability. I'm looking for Oregon to be able to come back home and say, hey, look, we lost by seven. We lost by 10. We lost by 13. You know, we, we lost by 16, maybe worst case. But we put up a heck of a fight. Our guys played hard. We had some, we had some fun explosion plays in there. Uh, you know, we didn't give up too many big plays defensively. You know, Georgia had to earn their yards. They had to earn their points. Um, that's what I'm looking for. Like I can come away and feel good about Oregon season. If that's the outcome, if it's anything better than that, I feel even better. Obviously, uh, if Oregon comes back home and gets shellacked 40 to three or, or, or 38 to 10 or something like that, uh, then we can have another podcast about that, but it, <laughs> it means they've got some work to do, but I'm willing to give them some leeway and understand, Hey, this is a tough game. This is a home game for Georgia. Uh, you got a whole new staff, new quarterback, new offense. All those things, you know, really don't help you. Um, but I am optimistic internally that I believe this staff can get this team close and respectable. And I think, if anything else, I think you'd rather face Georgia week one than Georgia week 10. And what I mean by that is, is I think you can catch a little bit of lightning out of the bottle. With week one, they don't have film to go on. Sure, they're going to know Coach Lanning's tendencies a little bit on defense, but not you know totally. Uh, you can surprise them with the offense a little bit. I think you can can sneak some things on them that come week ten when they when they can watch you know nine nine games worth of film up to that point on your tendencies. You're not going to really catch them with those surprises. Not to mention they'll be hitting their stride by that point. So. I think Oregon can keep it respectable, and that's all I'm after. Okay. Yeah, sounds good to me. And, and for what it's worth, I, I think a lot of Duck fans share your sentiment there. I know I do as well. I, I, just, I don't want to see a rout. I don't want to see an embarrassment. I just want a good, compelling, close game. Uh, we're Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. We'll, we'll try to come back to you next week. Stay tuned for it. And thank you for listening to this. Um, as always, I want to leave you on this note. Thanks for listening, and go Ducks!